This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and Cerakoting. Your Cerakote specialist is Air Force veteran and retired police sergeant Paul Ware, a.k.a. the Sarge. He can Cerakote your firearms, auto parts, tools, even your sports equipment. And then your master gunsmith is Marine veteran Steve Miller. This veteran-owned business is located at 5025 Saunders Suite, 103, Fort Worth, Texas, 76119. You can call them at 682 0363 and you can find them online at www.hrhcombatarms.com that's www.hrhcombatarms.com all right welcome back to cops one donut i am your host eric levine and today I got a special guest with me, uh, a friend of mine, somebody that I actually trained in the police academy, believe it or not, despite that gray beard you see. Um, he went through our geriatric program, uh, the one, the only, Officer Funksta Holland from the Fishbowl hey. Network. What's up, brother? What's going on? You How's already know. Living the dream, <laughs> sir. Living the dream. <laughs> the radio dream. Yeah, trying I to be like it. you, man. Oh, man, shoot. That's not hard to do. You're doing better than me. I'll tell you. <laughs> I love this, I need, man. I need, uh, I need my car all wrapped up like you had. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, I got a story on that. When I first started the police academy, my mom told me, say, you get rid of that car because somebody going to go and kill you by being the police. <laughs> yeah. Seeing your face on that car. Get rid of it. So I had to get rid of it, man. Nice. All right. So, <laughs> guys, the the this episode, this is one I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, oh, one, wow. because uh, Holland here has got a very unique perspective. And what I mean was he was a community activist, community outreach, uh, neighborhood friend, whatever you want to call it, way before he got in police work. Um he jumped into police work because he wanted to see the change affected and he was going to do it with his own two hands. Um, so he became the change he wanted to see. Now he waited till he was well into his forties, um, which was fun for me because I just happened to be an Academy instructor at the time. And uh, I like to root for the underdogs. And when I saw, you know, we tend to talk and ask people why they became a cop and stuff like that. And his reason is one of the like, same reason I wanted to be a cop. So uh, it really stuck out to me because he grew up in the same type of neighborhood I did, um, all of that stuff. Now, without getting into where we work, but um, we'll walk around that delicately. But, uh, <laughs> all right. Sir, tell everybody who you are, where you came from the the radio thing you know let's we'll jump into that and then and then the the morph into becoming a cop yeah i'm just a local uh i call myself a local boy from fort worth texas and um i was blessed to have a father that was in the army so he traveled around you know and uh, i was able to experience different cultures uh because of him so when we landed in Fort Worth and, you know, my mom and pops, they kind of divorced and whatnot. 
I end up in stop six Eastwood area. And okay. um, one of the things is, is that I learned, you know, how people in low, lower incomes was um, having to survive, you know. Explain to people what that stop six fish, explain the fishbowl, all that stuff. Because I want people yeah. to really yeah. understand the type of neighborhood you came from. I can say Flint, right. where I'm from, and people kind of get an idea. Ooh, but your area, it, to me, is very similar. It's very similar because we have the dope, we have the gangs, we have everything that's detrimental to society existing in that little area, you know? So yeah. that that's just like Flint, you know, exactly. Like you said it, you know, you have the lower income trying to survive, you know, by any means necessary. You know, so that means uh, coming in your house and sticking up your family and taking your money. That's what that's what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's many nights we heard shootings, you know, and everybody ducking on the floor. You know, I mean, there's uh, dope dealers on the corner where you go to school at, you know, gangs riding up and down the neighborhood, you know, and it was it was just a crazy area to live in. Yeah. What uh, what was the opinion of police in that particular area? Oh, of course, the police was the enemy, you know, I mean, because uh, they were stopping you in your mentality, stopping you from uh, making a means to survive, you know. Right. So you're not thinking that this dope that you're selling is killing your community, you know, that the people that you're robbing don't have. Uh, more than you have, you didn't think about that. You just right. did it. Now, in in the height of the the crime, because I, I know that area now, it's still mm -hmm. it's still got its issues. But um, right. I I think there was a peak earlier. I don't think mm -hmm. we're we're we that place is where it used to be, which is a good right. thing. But right. um, in its peak, what would you say? Eighties, nineties, or nineties, two thousands? 91, 92, 93, when uh, Fort Worth actually became, or was nicknamed Murderworth. Okay. You know? <clears throat> That's when it happened. Um, you had people coming from California. Uh, we didn't know anything about gangs until 90. And that's when the gangs started to influence the neighborhood and also the youth in it. Okay. And how old were you? During this time, I was about 17, 18 at the time. Okay. So you were at a very influential age. What, what stopped you from, uh, taking the, the, the crime life? Well, one of the things that's warning better, you know, and, uh, mom was a school teacher. So she said, Hey, listen, this is not your norm, you know, and you could do better. Yeah. You know, and trying to keep us away from the negativity the best she could. You know? Okay. So were you in the sports at all? You yeah, I was sports? in the football. Yeah, in the football, you know, did a little bit of it. And um, you know, really entertainment was my niche though, you know, and yeah. that's when rap first started coming out. And uh I went by so many street names as a rapper. <laughs> oh, you was you was a rapper. Yeah, I was a rapper. Oh. 
Shit. Um, Did you have like uh, the the big old radio on your shoulder? Radio box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, I didn't have the radio box. I think there's a New York thing, you know. Okay. We're Southern boys. <laughs> All right. Yeah, See? so... That was okay. that was something to get out the streets, you know. Even though rap was entangled with the streets, because a lot of dope dealers had studios, and yeah. that's where I recorded it. Okay. Oh, so you was in the actual studios and stuff. Oh yeah. Damn. Yeah. That was yeah, dope was funded. Oh yeah. Oh Dang. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you didn't you didn't know that because they kept it on the low low until after yeah. the fact. You said, "Oh wow, such and such was doing yeah. that." No. Right. Um. So, in that, obviously, the the police are are looked at as is trying to keep people from making their paper stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How how did you start to get the mindset? Well, I'm jumping ahead. Okay, so you 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 were rapping. You were uh, was that going to be a way to make money, or was that a way to just get your name out there amongst the community? Um, how did you start to flip? You know, at 17, 18, into your twenties, how did you start to flip into trying to help the community, or what type of job were you trying to get? You know what I mean? Well, you know, one of the things when I was doing it, it was all about being notarized where you came from, you know, represent your right. city, your neighborhood. 817. 817, stop six, you know, you're throwing that up. And uh, yeah. you wanted to be the voice of that neighborhood. So my lyrics were basically the, you know, I guess I was trying to write them for the rest of the streets, you know, okay. the people who couldn't rap. I said, well, I, I right. can rap, so I'm going to do this. I really okay. couldn't. But I did. <laughs> I really, is is there a record of it anywhere? Is it on tape? Uh, well, on YouTube, uh, you go Funkster, and um, I got a, I got my famous hit, "How We Roll," Funky Town. That's on. <laughs> Let me that's find on out. YouTube. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pull that up after the show. Heck yeah, man! No shit, was, I didn't know that. It's all right. That's uh, awesome. Good, did pretty good, you know. Okay. So I did that, and then I entangled myself with a lot of other rappers uh, from Houston. And uh, branching out is what made me look at radio and said, man, I want to go do radio. Okay. You know, and, uh, yeah. So I own a record store off of um, Stall Cup and Berry. And, really? Uh, yeah. I own a, it's called Good Time Records. Yeah, so uh, myself and a childhood friend of mine, we opened it up in efforts to make employment for some of the brothers that was in Stop Six. How old were you at the time? Oh, I was, what, about 25, 26 years old at the time. Yeah, so we own our our own store until we got broken into, and they cleaned us out. And we didn't have no bounce back. You know, didn't do any insurance or anything like that. So we had to shut it down. So you got firsthand knowledge on just how your own neighborhood was tearing itself down. Oh, yeah. Just it, just in that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah the, we know that dope tears apart communities and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. 
here you got people trying to trying to open up businesses in places that most people ain't going to want to open a business. Oh yeah. And, and and you see the cycle, the circle that happens because of it. Mhm. And, and also the uh, the the family structure is not there. Okay, I know in right. Flint, you could you, you could say it the same in Flint. You know, you have baby mama, baby daddy, they're not together and and all you have your kids in between. Right. Kids their mama's working two or three jobs and the kids wander out into the streets and the streets start raising the kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your friends, your friends start raising each other. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And if you don't have now you would get, it would be cool when you'd hang out with a friend who has a dad. Like I remember, I remember that like, um, my stepdad, like I did get it. I did have a stepdad when I reached about eight years old. Um, he worked second shift. I didn't see him hardly at all, except maybe the weekends. And then, um, my dad was down here in Texas doing the police thing. So for the most part, I was just like most of my friends. Um, you know, uh, but I do remember I had two good friends that lived real close. Um, Tim and Alan, no, Mm -hmm. not trying to make a play on the pun, Tim Allen, the tool time (laughs) guy, but, um, they, you know, they had, they had dads and it was cool. Like one, he kind of shot, taught me how to shoot bows and stuff like that. And then, uh, but for the most part, it was my grandparents that I saw quite a bit because my mom right. worked, you know? Right. So yeah, I get that, man. And, and I, I remember other kids that we called them the bike gang. They just rolled around on bikes, like <laughs> 12, 15 of them. And like, it always be the, like a hierarchy and yep. like the, the, the ones on the bottom of the hierarchy, they would be riding around on girls' bikes, little kids' bikes, and they just cruise until they saw another bike. And then right. they'd set up, go steal it, and give you a beat down if you tried to stop them. But yep. they would take that bike. Sometimes they would leave the crappiest bike in their group there, like so you'd have a replacement bike. But most of the time, they'd take all of them. And uh, <laughs> then they would, wow. they would change the bikes out, like, <laughs> you know, oh, like if you, if you stole a really good bike, well, now the top dog he gets that bike, and then the bikes oh. move around. So, <laughs> wow, fuckers! Oh. <laughs> the other guy, they got my bike a couple times. They got you. So, oh yeah, he's honest. He's yeah. honest. Yeah, yeah, they got they me. Got. They got me at the corner store, man. I look. I was. I was street smart. I looked around. I was like, Nah, they ain't. They ain't around. I ain't seen them in a minute. Right. Right. As I came out, man, they was halfway down the road i was like yep shit (laughs) walk of shame if everybody is honest and that lived in the hood like you and i did you gotta you gotta admit getting got at least once (laughs) at least once you know yep yep there was a reason i never want my good shoes to school (laughs) that's right that's right for real For real. Yep. You That's real. Leave talk. your good. Sh- uh-huh. Yep. Leave your good shoes in the locker at, at school, right. and uh, they were for gym class only. That's right. That's a lot of people right. don't understand why that rule came about. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why <laughs> their shoes got two. Yep. <laughs> yep. You either had to know how to fight or be fast. One of the that's two. That's right. 
That was fast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a lot of family um, that lived in the hood as well. So, and they still do, you know, for the most part. So uh, we kind of somewhat looked out for each other, you know. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, oh, don't mess with him. You know, that's just his cousin. Leave him alone, you know. Yeah. That helped out a little bit. Now, where I'm from, race, you know, there's it was a pretty good mix, black and white. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think Flint's pre- predominantly predominantly black, but um, it's you know like half and half, maybe sixty forty, something to that effect. And and race was never an issue for me growing up. It wasn't like, but since I've been down south, that's a big thing down here. Like I hear right. it all the time, and I'm like it's a culture shock for me because it wasn't an issue up there. So for you growing up and I'm sure it's predominantly black neighborhood as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that a factor when it came to police, when it came to other gangs, anything? I, I just curious what it was like. Well, you know, there's a stereotypical view on East end as far as how some people look at blacks and some people look at cops you know, they have formulated this uh, opinion about both sides by what they see and what they hear, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah slavery and all that, that, that happened and it's terrible. We hate it, right? But as we transcend and start to get, you know, older and start to see life for what it is, it became the have and the have-nots. So know, it was more of, of economical? It's an economical thing. Because you yeah. had whites that live in the hood, you know, in, in stop six, you know? Right. You had them. Yeah. Know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So you get your record store. That flops. Mm-hmm. Um. Had you earned your way into a radio show yet with that? Or what happened after, after that went down? Well, uh, my partner and I, we started promoting concerts. And because we had gotten real good with some of the popular rappers in the South, you know, in the South and Houston and stuff like that. So we started putting them on on shows, you know. Okay. And uh, with that being said, I used to go ahead and in 97.9, and all these little radio stations, uh, socialize among them. So I was on the radio without getting paid, you know, at that time, right. you know. So then I started okay. going to Wichita Falls and Colleen and little small cities because I was able to have a more of an influence coming from a big city like Fort Worth to Wichita Falls. Well, I look like P. Diddy going in there, you know. <laughs> right, local hero. <laughs> yeah, I'm a local hero. So here comes yeah. the funkster. He's bringing uh, – you know, Swiss a house for a show, you know? Yeah. And then I'll be on a show and they'll let me go ahead and broadcast. So I went to school for it. You know, okay. I said, let me go to school, man. Now and, at uh, the time, was you, was you married? Was you your boyfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend? I know you <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Uh, nah, did you have good. kids yet? Did you just curious uh, if your family had started yet? Yeah. Yeah. I had a family. I had um, a wife, um, and I had two kids from her okay. at the time. And uh, we kind of just grew apart, you know, along with this uh, music business and everything else I was doing, 
you know, okay. it kind of jeopardized the family life. I'm never at home. I'm doing my thing in the streets and it just didn't come together, you know? Okay. So now yeah, so it, that's the mess of it. Um, so you get, you get going, you, you make it big. And then when does the, when does the community side start? Because I want people to understand like there, there's this, there's, there's obviously some sort of twist or turn that happens in your head. Right. And I just kind of want to understand right. that. Well, you know, uh, people, People start talking about. I think when uh, Trevon Martin, when he was when he got murdered, well, when he got killed, um, remind me. I, remind me of which one that was. Was that the Florida that was, one? Yeah, it was the Florida one with Zingerman. Oh, oh and, Zimmerman. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Zingerman. Yeah. And uh, when he got when he died, I used to be in a constant conversation with people around, you know, the city, even Dallas. You yeah. know. Um, I knew Sammy G, who is the owner of um, Fishbowl Radio Network, you know. Uh, I teamed up with her and I had a radio show about police involvement with the black community. And uh, okay. and then when they asked me on the show, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, you know, I'll I, I get behind the scenes and see what's going on for real. And that would led me to take the test, you know. Okay, so George Zimmerman is the catalyst that made you start looking yep. into PD. Yes, sir. Man, that that is that. a. And also, one more thing uh, stimulated it, and it was um, my uh, cousin was murdered, um, and uh, it took Fort Worth PD. You know, like two years to convict the killer, and he okay. was around. And I was like, "Man, I didn't understand that either." Oh, so he was out on bond, walking around, right? And I'm running into okay. him at the corner store and everything else. Right. I mean, okay. Shit. So, yeah, that had to be uh, rough. So you're, yeah. you know, you you don't know how the system works inside and out at that right. time. So, okay, I could see right. how that would alienate a community for sure. Um, for those that are wondering what we're talking about, like if the judge allows bond and assuming you don't have very much of a criminal background, you're pretty much going to get offered a bond. It's very, right. it doesn't happen too often that you get a no bond. So, uh, and it has to be reasonable. Right. So basically his cousin got murdered and the murderer got bond because you're innocent till proven guilty according to the courts so they can't just hold you unless they have reason to that's right so that guy's out walking around in the community and you got the george zimmerman case going on you got stuff like that going on Mm -hmm. and i like where your mindset's at where it's you could my dad told me this is basically one of the things that flipped me into becoming a cop he said you can be a part of the problem you can be part of the solution solution and uh for me, it 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 didn't trigger right away, but right. it's it was in there the whole time. I'm like, damn it, he's right. <laughs> so, That's right. That's right. Uh, right. You know, wow. and hard logic to argue. And you know, obviously, I took that path. But so you pull the trigger, and you're how old at the time? Well, I'm 45 at the time. Well, I took the test at 44, 
Okay. And I passed it. And they took a year to, uh, you know, do the background and all that other jazz. And yeah. then at first they told me that I didn't qualify. They said, you you turned in too much, you know, paperwork. Okay. So I was like, okay, what what is that? You know? Yeah. So uh, she told me that uh, you could take the next test in July. And I never did get the results of that next test. So at that point, I said, well, I'll go for Forest Hill. I'm going to be a cop, you know? Yeah. Uh, and um, I think around um, October, I had a corporal call me up and say, are you still interested? I said, sure. They said, well, uh, do you have a high school diploma? And I said, well, I provided a college transcript. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I said, did I skip middle school and go straight to college? <laughs> yeah. So um, I got kind of perturbed because I got, uh, you know, the runaround mm-hmm. from the start. And then okay. um, they took me to the uh, psychologist, just the psychologist in Dallas. He asked me a whole bunch of stupid questions. I felt like, you know, did I whip my yeah. wife or did I ever sell drugs and all this? Little stuff? I said, man, why are you shooting at me like that? You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't say where it's coming from. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll talk to the department. You're free to go. Yeah. So they called me up and said, this is the only test that you could have failed and you can still retest, but you got to pay $800 to do it. Oh, and shit. I said, $800, you know, yeah. a damn. Yeah. So there was an officer, Isaiah Gardner, um, who uh, pulled me to the side and said, man, I believe in you. Here's $800. Here's $800. Me and my wife said, we're going to give that to you so you can go oh. ahead and get in. You know what okay. I mean? So um, they told me there was no time frame uh, for me to take the test at first. So I took the two tests and passed them. And then I called the department and said, hey, I passed the two tests. They said, well, time has lapsed and uh, you're going to still be disqualified. Don't worry about it. And that's when I told them, I need to talk to IA on this. You know, let, 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 let me talk to somebody on this. So I didn't quit. Okay. Know? And yeah. then they called Terry, you know, the department's lawyer. Yep. And uh, she called me back. And within five minutes of the call, she told me, hey, you started in January. You know what I mean? So that's how I got nice. on. Nice. I like yep. it. Yep. Well, look at you now, making a look difference. Look at me now. <laughs> right? <laughs> trying to, really. So, really okay. Trying. So you you get on. Now, at the time, you were with Fishbowl Network, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So so get in, uh, explain what Fishbowl Network is, what their purpose is, and all that stuff. I want people to kind of understand that better. Well, Sammy had, what Sammy G, she's the owner of Fishbowl Radio. And uh, she has this vision of trying to empower people to do their own broadcasts, you know, and uh, and streamline. You know, radio is a funny monster. You know, they make you play what pays. You know, uh, payola. I believe it's real. You know, because if you don't have the money, you won't get you know advertisement and music right. and all that stuff played. So Sammy G, what she did, she allowed us to come in there and uh, voice 
ourselves on her radio network that was online. You know, she has her online network, millions of people around the world that are listening to this network. Yeah. And what she does, she allow us to take a four four hour block slot, you know, and do whatever you want to do. You okay. know, whatever you want to push. Now, well, our energy was good because what I was trying to push was uh, co- the, the community and empowering yes. the community, you know, giving the community a voice with the Mission Radio Show, you know. Mm-hmm. And I brought Christian hip hop, you know, because I knew that the music influenced the youth. And uh, Christian hip hop was given um, a new twist, you know, to the youth. You yeah. Know, it gives you uh, another outlook and you still as talented, you know, and uh, Lecrae, uh, Andy Minio, and, it, you know, uh, you got several of them, KB, and I threw them all on the radio on my show, on the mission, along with, you know, uh, community voices. So I will pick out small businesses and, you know, and things like that to, you know, broadcast on my show and promote yeah. themselves, you know, and yeah. um, and also networking, you know, because if you listen to the Mission Radio show and you was in the, you know, this podcast, I just interviewed a dude that was doing podcasts. So you will hook up with him. He'll hook up with you. And then yeah. you guys have businesses, you know, yep. so yeah, that's what it was I, all about. Okay, and so um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh-huh. The, the fishbowl, I want people to kind of understand. This is a, a particular part of the hood in Fort Worth that mm-hmm. was um, one way in, one way out type thing, yes. or it was it was in a circle. I can't remember. There's actually a book that was written about it by right. a police officer. Right. Um, right. I don't remember the name right. of it, but I know there was a book written about the fishbowl because of the way right. – the gangs and stuff dealt drugs in there, communicated with each other. It was yeah. just very unique little area, its own fishbowl. Right. Um, it, it was kind of ironic, uh, Eric, because um, Fishbowl Radio Network was just like the fishbowl of the hood, you know, because there was one way in, one way out off of um, Riverside Drive. You know, you could only go in one way. And come yeah. out one way, and yep. uh, yeah, you went in there for dirty business, whether it yeah. be drugs or whatever it is, prostitutes, whatever it is, they had it in the fishbowl. Yeah, you know, and and the, everybody in the neighborhood knew if you didn't belong. Oh yeah, oh, which yeah. made it Definitely. really hard for cops to fight anything Definitely. in there. Definitely, uh, and you had whistleblowers on the corner. They're, yeah, from police. You know, yep. like releasing the doves know. on training day. <laughs> right <laughs> absolutely right absolutely i know they did it in flint i know they did it, I know they did it. not doves they couldn't afford those they have pigeons <laughs> they have pigeons <laughs> yeah they catch them so um golly man and don't drink the water <laughs> yeah, yeah don't drink the water they still struggling on that so wow um okay so you get that going that was one way to help your community. Oh yes. You know, there's there's yes. there's a uh one side of the bridge, if you will. 
and then you decided to be the other side of the bridge by getting a badge. So what was the reaction like? I mean, I'm trying to think like now you just became a bootlicker. Like, well, you, you know, you know, one thing about it, I was quite surprised because uh, a lot of my friends in the neighborhood applaud me. They, really? They, they was happy. They was happy to see me. Uh, and to this day, I see how close friends they are happy that I'm part of the force. Yeah. You know, but you, a, you know, you put you surrounded yourself with probably pretty positive people. What I I know because I got them too. What mm-hmm. about your friends that weren't necessarily the most upstanding citizens? Oh yeah. Did you lose a lot of friends? Oh, yeah. or did you gain? Did they? You know, just what? curious at, what they think. At first, I did. At first, I did. Um, there was a lot of uh naysaying you know through those individuals but when they start encountering problems and they needed to trust the police you was it i was the one that they trusted you know yeah this good thing and that's why i try to push so hard for departments to try to put their people if they grew up in that city in their areas like a lot of times um, you'll see departments, they'll get a guy that was born and raised in that city they work for, but they're not put anywhere near where they where they worked because they think there's going to be some sort of a, I don't want to call it nepotism, but some sort right. of favoritism or, or emotional um, compromise. I, I think it's a good thing. I think right. if, if we can get more people to do what you did, you know, now – I could never be a cop in Flint. I wouldn't want to be um, right. one. They they don't pay enough. Like right. it it ain't worth it. I could go be a Walmart manager and make the same wow. amount. Wow! So uh, until the citizens decide to back their cops there, then I had no desire to go back there. So wow. um, now you know I'm where I'm at now. Love it. Love the support. It's awesome, but I think it's yeah. even cooler for guys like you that get to be an officer in an area that they grew up that you know that they get to help people they know and right. really bridge that that communication gap because now they got somebody that knows exactly where they're coming from yeah, yeah. and also experience uh what they have experienced as far as um what we st- first started talking about is the low-income neighborhood and the struggle that they have within there, you know, mm-hmm. to survive. You know, so uh, there's a different understanding when you've been there and you encounter them on that level. You know, yeah. you, you can kind of say, okay, well, I can understand that, but here's the right way to do it. And because they trust you, they listen, you know? Yeah. Like, okay, I know he lived on that block. So what he's saying, you know, might be right, you know, versus a, somebody else who may be from uh, Cleburne, Texas, or Joshua, and they come tell you, you'd be like, oh, man, yeah. you, know, you don't know. You ain't never been through no struggle. <laughs> right. Or a white boy uh, from Michigan. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm 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 tell you about you. You know what I mean? And I need to say this to Radio World because I really feel this. Um, when I first met E, uh, the energy was live. Even though he was my superior at the time, he was my trainer. But at the same time, uh, his energy was uh, real. It, it's no faking in the guy. You know, I mean, when he say he don't see no color, he, he's exactly right. You know, he embraced me and also several others that look like me within the department. And it was never any kind of speculation that he, you know, that he had any kind of bias in him. You know, no racism, nothing like that. And so if I seen it and I came from the block, you know, I'm sure that the people on the block see it as well. You know, he going to stand up for what is right, you know, even if you got a badge or not. And he also going to, you know, caress you when you're wrong, badge or not, you know. So there's no what they call superficial thin blue line with E, you know, and uh, he's, you know, I wouldn't be sitting on, on here right now with him if I felt any other kind of way, you know, yeah. and I had him on my radio show at the mission, you know, and well before got, the podcast was even a thought. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when I replayed that broadcast, I had thousands listening to that broadcast. And I had a lot of people stating that you, you know, was real, you know, and you opened yeah. some people's eyes as far as a Caucasian officer. You opened their eyes that not all officers are like that one with the George Floyd situation. Yeah. You, know? you opened their eyes, you know, so I applaud you for that. That was fun, man. That was a that was a neat experience. Um, love to do it again. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. That was good. Yeah, we're going to do it again. <laughs> I think we had some we had some good discussions and uh yes, we it's it's always oh, man. it's always fun to go in as the the underdog in a way, you know, cuz I I expected yeah. I expected some flack. Um <laughs> you know, well, I mean, well, I, I got some. I got but, some. Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah I, yeah, I did because they said uh Oh, uh, you have a Levine on there? Uh, uh, do you do you think he really represent this, that, and the third? You know, I said, hey, you know what? This guy right here, just just listen to the broadcast. Just just just, just yeah, listen yeah. to the broadcast, and you come back and talk to me later. You know, okay. yeah, you know what I'm saying. So some of those individuals actually came back to me and said, "Oh, I understand why you had him on there." You know, yeah, so that was good. Yeah. It's fun, man. I like it. I think yeah. I think anytime you I think anytime you're passionate about something, it it comes across. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's uh it it's genuine. You can tell it's not being faked. Uh so don't fake the funk. You, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh we we're like kids and you know, when you're around kids, they're brutally honest. Yep. You know, they are brutally. I know you have kids, so you know, you know, if they don't oh, yeah. like somebody, how, how, how can you even tell them, hey, you go over there and talk to such and such. If they don't like them, they just don't, don't like them, you know? Hey, right. 
So yep. that, that's why you can't fake it. Yeah, you can't, yep. you can't do it. Yeah. So yeah, our episode. It's funny. I, I I have to post that on my podcast. I forgot about that. To yeah. be honest, um, yeah. I forgot that was recorded. So sure yeah, was. we could we could post that. That was fun, and then maybe do a part two. Um, we need to. Yeah, add, we had add Dion Nash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had uh, I just talked to Dion the other day. Um, cool. Uh, he. He's willing to come on my podcast, so I was like, "Yeah, dude, come on. We'll we'll just cut it up and talk about all the issues that you want to get off your chest, man." He's a very <laughs> for those listening, Dion is a very uh, passionate dude. Like he's yes, he he's is. got a lot of things he wants to get off his chest, and uh, he's he's got like a sneaky. I don't know how to put it. A sneaky like message, like. He'll set it up and you don't see it coming. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, he just slapped me with knowledge. So, yeah. 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 Tell him, I'm like, sometimes, dude, I'm like, where the fuck is he going with this? I and, do too. And I'm like, he's going to piss off a lot of people. And then all of a sudden he flips it and you're like, oh, okay. That's clever, right. dude. That's right. clever. So, yeah. He got us like that, you know, on that show yeah. a yeah. couple times. I think he was nervous. On the show, because when I, I talk to him, he's talked smooth on the podcast, right. like uh, or on your radio show. He was a little like I, <laughs> I don't know if he was trying to measure his words better, but he wasn't coming across as smooth. So nah, he wasn't smooth at all. And I'm gonna let you listen to it again. You listen right, to yeah. it and tell me about it. You know, <laughs> I went but on there representing song, Detroit so. as I was repping Detroit to the fullest. Yeah, I have my Detroit hat. My we were while we were at the baseball stadium, so I have my Detroit jersey on. And they, uh, they all came dressed to impress. I was like, oh shit. I guess yeah. I underdressed. Yeah, yeah. And then we who else we had? We had one more. Um, yeah, the Hispanic dude. I can't think of yeah. his name though. Oh my God. I know him too. Pat Pat. Uh his last name said saw it with a B. I just know it. You know, uh, Palomino, uh, Pal- Palomino, Palomino, that it? that's his name. Yeah. 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 That's him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we had a black guy, a white guy and a, an Hispanic it's, guy. Yep. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would have figured? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was fun because people were yeah. like chatting in live while we were going. Right. Stuff that I can't right. I can't really do on this because I'm alone. So I wish I could do that. But yeah. um, have you seen have you seen the little Twitch videos that I do where I watch body cam footage? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I'll, I'll do that. And then I can I can respond while I'm doing that. Yeah. But for the podcast itself, like this is pre-recorded. We're not even live, so nobody could right. nobody could watch this until I post it. So but, Well, um, we're gonna um you know, setting up over here where we we're going live, you know. Um, so uh, now that I know that we can link up this way, yeah, you know, I will definitely link up with you and we can go Hell live. Yeah. You know? So um, I'm skipping I'm skipping uh, to the next topic. Sorry. Um, OK. You 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 get it. You get to become a cop. All right. Mm-hmm. Now you go through the academy, which beat the hell out of you. One, because of your age. And right. two, let's face it, your background had nothing to do with that stuff. Right. 
I mean, you were about as opposite as it comes when it comes to paramilitary. You right. were you're a liberal arts dude. So yeah. um you did some college. What would you do for college? Yeah, you did broadcasting, you broadcasting know, uh, stuff? yeah, communication. Okay. You know, cool. I dipped a little bit into football, but you know, I knew it wasn't my passion. Yeah. And, um, everything well, that it's, I do it's like hard to have a passion for football when you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. So <laughs> I get it. So. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> From a Detroit guy. <laughs> right. That's all we can do is talk shit. So, hey, we just won the Super Bowl. I don't know if you know that. Oh. Yeah, Stafford. with Matt Stafford. Uh, he just told you guys. He said, <laughs> no, uh, he said, that's, he goes, that's for you, Detroit. That's what, that's what he said. That's what he said. I didn't see that in the view. <laughs> I read his I lips. I read his lips. Oh, that's you read his lips? Yeah. <laughs> A little reader. Okay. I think he looked at the camera and like, Eric, that was for you. <laughs> 39 years of fan. I think yeah. all Detroit felt that way. All Detroit <laughs> fans felt that way. That's what happens when you're a good leader. He gave his heart and soul for that team. And he never got yeah, backed yeah. up. So, nope. But nope. Ownership. Okay, so, yep. so you go through the academy, beats the hell out of you, but you make it. Um you go through your FTO training and all that, then now you're a cop. How does a guy like you start getting down the path that you wanted to do? And was it what you thought it was going to be? No, it was not what I thought it was. It was going to be. Um, you know, I had the I had the freedom of uh, making decisions based on you know, how I felt about that certain situation. I wasn't forced to tell me, hey, this is how you handle this situation. I handled it accordingly to what I knew as a 40-year-old man. You know, I I was uh, mature, a little bit more mature than uh, most of the rookies that was coming on. You know, so I'd already been through marriage, divorce, uh, you know, unemployed, employed again, uh, homeowner, you know, all that, father, you know, I have kids, you know. So all that came to play when I became a cop, you know, Um, and it helped me out to know uh, the streets, you know what I mean, because I knew the streets very well. You know, uh, especially in Stop Six Eastwood, where they did initially put me. You okay. Know? So I was able to say, okay, well, uh, get to the calls quickly because I knew the streets. I knew the back streets, you know, and um, and it was easy for me. Mm-hmm. So you get there. Uh, to and- walk up to the barbershop conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. You cut out a little bit there. That's all. Oh. Yeah, your connection, I think, took a dip. So you can get you, to the... You, you, yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you now. So okay. you were saying that it was easy for you to get places, take the back streets. You could go to the barbershop, have conversations, yeah. stuff like that. Okay. Sure. So you get over there, and the idea you had in your head... Now, this may take you time to think about but the idea you Mm -hmm. had in your head before you became a cop but knowing you wanted to be one to try to be the change 
versus now you know the job and you're there mm-hmm. making the decisions. How big was the difference? It was a major difference because, see, when I came in, I had I didn't know how much I had sold out to the stereotypical views of media, social media, and everything else when I became police. I thought that the police were really uh, crooked. I thought that mm-hmm. it was, you know, I thought that, you know, there was everything that the media said they were, you know. But becoming police, I seen that they, they were fathers, they were husbands, they had lives outside this job, uh, and they really wanted to make a difference like I did. Yeah. You know, I don't care what complexion they were, um, uh, you know, anything like that. They wanted to make a difference. They, I, I, I've been on scenes where they run up into houses, you know, to save somebody that's not their color. They're not their color. You know, yeah. I've done that. You know, I've been a part of uh, uh, rescues and stuff like that in the streets. And nobody hesitate. Nobody. You know, yeah. soon we get to the scenes, they run to the danger. You know, yeah. so that was different than what the media paint us to be. Yeah. You know? So you've got um, you've got a real opportunity here to kind of explain to those that were in your shoes that still think all of that. Or they still right. think that police are just inherently racist, that they still think police um they think that thin blue line, they don't think we're going to hold each other accountable. Um, and one of the things I tell people is every year that I've been a cop, a cop either at my department or locally somewhere close has been arrested and convicted of something that they were caught within their own agencies. They were held accountable. You just don't hear that in the news because it ain't sexy. It ain't. That's what we're supposed to do. You never hear it. So you always hear that we're covering up for each other. We're doing all this stuff. And um, have there been instances of that? Yeah. Yeah. There have been. But I think they're very few and far between opposed to how often we do hold each other accountable. So it's one thing coming from white male cop from the north. Totally different thing from a guy where you're with your background, your experience and everything. Well, I must say this, that those that are called. You know, doing something that is in violation of the general orders of our department, they are punished. They are punished, and there are there are our officers like yourself, E, and also me. If I see anyone who's doing something that I feel like is not right, I stepped up to them. I don't care how how many years they had with the uh, force or nothing. Hey man, that's wrong. Let's do it this way, you know. Right. And the way you carry yourself in the department is how they react to your counsel. Like with you, you know, I look at you with high regard. So if you come at me, you're not coming at me to destroy me or because you're trying to, you know, hold your nuts, so to speak. But right. it's one of those. Hey man, I don't want you to get you. I want get. I don't want you to get jammed up. Right. So, hey, Percy, don't do that. You know, yeah. do it like this. You know, and yeah. uh, 
we have people in our department that are like that, you know, yeah. and we don't chastise publicly. Like you say, that's not our style. We don't, we don't have to cuss each other out in front of everybody to show them that, Hey, we're correcting this situation or we don't like this situation. You yeah. know, we, we do it like everybody else should do it. Man to man, woman to woman. And Hey, we correct ourselves. Right. And I think one of the things that people, I, I want people to understand, I don't say you have to understand, but mm -hmm. I would like people to understand is like, if you see a cop, if we see a cop doing something blatantly illegal, it's easy. It's easy. You're right. done. You're done. Right. There's no me going to you and coaching you and trying to, hey, dude, you can't, can't be doing this. It's over with. Because I ain't right. losing my career for your dumbass nah. at all. So that's <laughs> nope. why I try to tell people. I'm like, I'm not. Because as soon as they find out that, well, Levine, you saw him do that. It's on body yep. camera. It's this. Or we got evidence that you knew and you're done. Right. So now I'm, I'm going to go down because you're an asshole. No, right. that's not how it's going to happen. So for me, right. like that's an easy decision. The part where it gets muddy to people is – you know, some dude just beat the hell out of his wife. And the mm -hmm. first thing I want to do is, you fucking asshole. Like, you know, I want to chew that dude out. Like, right. what the hell's wrong? You know, call him a pussy, coward, whatever it is you want to call him. Right. But you got to slow your roll. And sometimes you get to that scene where a kid's, you know, on death's door, you know, and or is dead because, you know, the boyfriend killed the kid, you know, like. Your emotions, we're human, and your emotions can get the best of you. And that's when I need somebody like Holland to step in and be like, whoa, Levine, just let it go, let it go. I'll handle this. I got this. And and that's what we're talking about when we say keep each other in check, step in. Um, right. Because there is a level of human reaction that can happen. You know, you get in a fight, and the dude caught you, and you know you're seeing stars. And as you're coming out of the fog, you're – hitting the guy trying to get his arms behind his back and you don't even realize he's he's knocked out or or whatever it is and you're still hitting him because you are you're you're not you for a second you're that's right and if you've never been in a real fight that's hard to understand so that's right. why you need to look out for each other i i right. got an example of a guy that uh, a rookie that i trained um i had went out to patrol for like 30 days at the time it was when i was an academy instructor and Patrol was short, so I went out to help patrol. And we got in a pursuit. Um, it was his pursuit. My, you know, the dude I trained, so it was kind of fun. And uh, <laughs> I'm riding passenger in a, in a patrol car. It's a two-man. And I was like, drop me off right here, you know, because the car was wrecking out. Like, the person was going to jump out and run. Well, I jump out, I'm, I'm chasing on foot, and so is the rookie that I had trained. And um, we get there at the same time. He just happens to tackle, so I come in for the assist. And I already had the arm behind the back on my side, and so did he, but he was in that OODA loop where his adrenaline's going. He's like, put your hands behind your back. Put your, and he's like pushing down, like trying to get the arms behind the back. He didn't realize we already had him. They're already back there. And I was like, wait. So all I did was say, all right, relax, relax. That was it. That's all I had to say. Got the cuffs on. I was like, I got him. Go. So he could 
breathe. It wasn't that he was going to hurt this person, but his brain needed to register everything. So um, it looks like your connection bottomed out all there of a sudden. There you go. There you go. You're back on. Okay. Okay. You can hear me? <laughs> I so, can you. Okay. I may have just told that whole story that you didn't hear. <laughs> I didn't hear none of that, man. No. Oh, man. That's okay. Man. Wow. Uh, wow. So I'll give, you the, I'll give you the Reader's Digest. Basically, a rookie I had trained, we both chased down a bad guy. Um, uh-huh. He tackled him. And he was so wound up from the pursuit, he didn't realize I had an arm behind the back and he had the other arm and he keeps going, put your hands behind your back, put your hands behind your back. So to deescalate and and to, before he did anything extreme, not intentionally, but I was like, all right, relax, relax. We got him. We got him. I put the cuffs on. I said, all right, I got this. So he had a time to go process what just happened. Yeah. So it, it's as simple as that. And that's what we're talking about when we say keep other officers in check um, right. and things of, things of that nature. It, nothing illegal, guys. When, Like I said, if a cop's doing something dirty, like breaking a law, that's simple. That's really not a question. That's and right. I, th- I think when citizens support their cops, those decisions are super easy to make for police because they that's don't right. want to lose that support. That's right. And the relationships. I mean, you know, you don't want a bad relationship with the community. You know, because you did uh, try to sweep something under the rug that's now being exposed and you're part of it, you know, because you actually swept it under the rug. So no officer, I'll say this, no officer goes to work with, I'm going to break the law today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, nobody that I know go to work and say, I'm gonna go break the law today because I just feel like it. Yeah, you know, I'm just gonna do something, you know. Yeah. I mean, things happen. We are human, you know, we're not robots, you know. We yeah. do go through divorces, we do, you know, do everything that society does, but we're held to a higher standard because of our position and our job title. Yep. Okay. Now, the one thing that I wish we could get out of is just thinking that you need to fire a cop every time they mess up. Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, I, I know cops are going to agree with that. The hard Mm -hmm. part is, is right now society demands perfection. Right. It's unrealistic. Right. Um, how often before you became a cop were you thinking like they need to be fired? They need to be fired versus now. Is it has that changed at all? Or did you have a pretty open mind about learning from mistakes before that? Well, you know, again, you know, I want to hear the whole story. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to see the clip that you showed on Facebook, you know. I want to know <laughs> the background yeah. of the story, you know, and I right. always have been like that. Even in my personal life, I, I'll never judge anybody. I like to see their story, you know, and how they, how did they get to that point right there? You know? Yeah. So no, I wasn't one that is instantly want to convict somebody, you know, because of what I heard on Facebook or what I heard on the news. I'm going to tell you this. Levine, I was on a on a call, you know, it, it was a homicide, and I had to work the 12. 
uh, well, I, deceased person, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> I get home and I'm listening to um, to the news, and they're telling their version of what happened when I was there. <laughs> right. I and said, you see the media twist, not. right? <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And the thing that I think is funny now is like, I look at it like I'm technically the media now. And so are you. Right, right, right. So, you know what I mean? We know the yeah. truth. We're out yeah. there. You know, another thing that I want to say is that nobody is exposed to the actual nightmare more than police. We're the ones that see the dead bodies. We're the ones to see the victim that has been molested. We're the ones that are dodging bullets when a person want to fire at us, uh, insults that we endure every day. You know, yeah. we get all that and then we have to come home and be human to wives, be human to kids, mothers, Everyone else in our family circle, we have to come home and be, you know, human to them after yeah. enduring all that that we've seen on a job, you yeah. know. And now we need some. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, I'm sorry, I cut you off, but uh, no, no, go ahead. As as a black officer, and I've heard this before, mm -hmm. um, but you being a black officer and going back where you grew up. Um, I know your friends and stuff support you, but not everybody in the neighborhood is going to know who you are, especially maybe the younger guys. Um, are you getting it from, from both sides now? Is it, I've heard that. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you, you got to oh, yeah. deal with racism in your own oh, life. Yeah. And then you got to deal with racism as a cop from people you're oh, trying yeah. to help. So, what, what is that like, man? Well, man, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, because uh, from white people, a black cop is still, uh, you know, I mean, not, and that's not everybody. So let's not stereotype. But right. there are certain people who are stuck in the past and they feel that, you know, blacks shouldn't hold such positions, you know? Right. And you uh, look like you came from the past, so you know <laughs> that, that white beard. Especially, especially now, I'm trying yeah. to get my Abe Lincoln going. You know, my Abe Lincoln <laughs> profile. I like it. I mean, but um, black people, uh, they still don't understand the concept of why we're necessary uh, within the department. You know, uh, they feel that uh, you have uh, sold out because you took on the badge that you're, you know, uh, you're standing up more for law enforcement than you're standing for them, you yeah. know? And when you're hired to support them and protect them, you know, but they feel like, oh no, you're going to take the law enforcement, you know, side of everything, you know, and not right. my side. I'm not going to be heard, even though I have a point of view, because you have that badge, you're not interested in my point of view. You know? yeah. You've been trained to just obey the department. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's yeah. how they look at it, you know? Yeah, and you got it. What's cool about your story is 
you didn't do this at a young age. You, you grew up, you know, you've seen generations go through your neighborhood before you became a cop. And that's you, that's unique in itself. So your ability to reach your community is, is I think much higher than most people. Well, I've seen when Stop Sis was thriving, you know, so I've seen where Eastwood was thriving and the neighborhood didn't need much policing because you had parents and respectable elders in those. I mean, the second a pan. Hold on, you're, cut, you're cutting out. Hold on a second. You're cutting out. You're, I can see your network connection drop to like zero. We are having technical difficulties. So with that said, please stop by our new website. Two cops, one done. Oh, he totally dropped. Uh, yeah, be sure to stop by my, uh, our new website, two cops, one donut.com all spelled out T W O C O P S O N E D O N U T.com. Um, if you want to help support the show, I have some, uh, chocolate and pink, uh, iced donut stickers on there. Um, they look just like the one behind me. Uh, if you want to make fun of Holland for his, uh, terrible webcam that he has because it looks like he's recording with a potato. Go ahead and do that. Uh, he does have a camera, a good one, and we were trying to get it to work before this, but something's up with it, so it didn't work. Um, I'm hoping he's able to reconnect, and uh, I'm going to send him a little message. Hey, just go ahead and reconnect. I'm still talking. And uh, hopefully he's still got the link, too. I will send him the link. But, yeah, so with what Holland was saying, you know, I I really like that perspective of growing up in the neighborhood for as long as he did. Um, Looks like he's trying to reconnect again. And it's unique. Um, and I'm curious at just how successful it's been for him. Uh, I'm going to keep talking while he tries to get his stuff going. Right now, his camera looks like hot garbage. <laughs> Let's get him. There he is. There I am. All right. Okay, he's yeah, back. This is my gray look. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing that I heard was... Um, you talking about, uh, I, I had said something about growing up for generations in your neighborhood and how that's a, uh, to me, it seems like that's a unique advantage and how successful was it for you or is it for you? Yeah, it's very successful because, um, like I said, you know, um, I'm going to use this analogy. Um, when you was growing up, uh, you had uncles, you know, that was able to talk to you and correct you, you know, and then, you know, they took, you took more, I guess, uh, of a respectful angle with them than you would a stranger that you didn't know, you know, right. somebody that you never seen before come to you and said, Hey, Eric, 
that's not right versus your uncle it's not right you know mm -hmm. when you have that relationship and you have and they know you you know or heard of you because even folks that didn't know me well their dad mom uncle sisters somebody know me you know what i mean because yeah. worth is a small circle so the thing is is that that's where the success is is by being able to and and, and folks that you grown up with you know i know uh people who are hooked on dope today but that wasn't hooked on dope 10 years ago mm -hmm. and they know me so when they see me although they're in their low place as far as addiction is concerned i'm still able to talk to them in a certain way because yeah. they know me you know what i mean so when i see them hey you know how you doing today you know what i mean you know yeah, they tell me different things and i'll be like okay well man you know I, let me know how i can help you yeah you know, i am here for you you know i knew you back in the day i get to reminiscing about things that we did back in the day and they get to smiling and crying you know i had grown men cry after reminiscing on some of the things that we did back in the day and they said right. man i remember that man i was I wish we could go back to that, you know, but right now I'm doing bad. I yeah. said, well, don't give up. No. Hey, we got some things that we can do and still do to move forward, you know, yeah. and they listen. They yeah. listen, you know. Yep. So, so how would you, me. so, you know, the one of the things that I try to do with this podcast mm -hmm. is uh, bridge gaps and give, you know, we gave perspective on what you did, how you got to where you're at and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. How do we encourage people to follow? And do you, do you think it's a good idea? How do we p encourage people to do what you did to do kind of what I did? I grew up in a bad place too, but instead of being a part of the problem that it is actually worth being the solution and they don't have to be a cop to be the solution, but this is two cops, one donut. So we're going to talk about being a cop. <laughs> so, you know what? We got to do a better job. And that's us all collectively of getting out in the community and forming relationships. We got to, you know, even if it's not a police situation, like going to the barbershop wasn't a police situation. It was just me, get me a burger and say, I'm going to eat this burger in this barbershop and see what they're talking about. I didn't yeah. even solicit their business or anything else, but I just sit in the barbershop and let them drill me with questions about the department, about policing, get my take on George Floyd or whoever, you know? Yeah. And by me doing that, that forms a relationship, you know? And we don't have enough of that going on with our officers. You know, we have to get out there, shake hands, kiss babies, and, and show them that we're there for them in their worst day when they call yeah. 911, you know? And I, I think I'll add to that. I think you need to be genuine. It yes. can't be something that you're doing just because you're checking a box. Well, I tried to help the city by doing this. Right. No, you need to be invested. 
You need right. to, if that's your beat and you don't know that area, you didn't grow up there, let's just say, you need to actually want to go there. Right. You need to find the spots to go, like the barbershop. Like, that's always a good spot. Right. Um, talk with the owner. Hey, man, this is kind of my idea. Mm-hmm. Is it cool? You know, it, right. if they say no, well, uh, you tried. You you genuinely tried. Right. Not not just trying to check a box, but right. it's it's. I don't think of it as outside the box thinking. But if you are not used to that and you're not a social person, I know that sounds weird, becoming a cop and not being a social person. But <laughs> we have them. we have them. You know, <laughs> being a social person is not a requirement to becoming a cop. Right. Um. You just got to not be a psycho and you know and have some that's right <laughs> so <laughs> that's really right. all that's what i mean it's really what it comes down to you know pass that psyche valve be able to do a little bit of fitness and pass your book smarts social skills are not a requirement that's right and 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 how do you test for it you can't you can't test you can. for social skills i mean there's ways you can kind of but even if you sit down and talk to somebody for 10, 20 minutes, are you really getting to know them? Are you really getting, you know, that social aspect of it to where you think you can read them enough? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, another thing you can teach is bravery. Uh, you can't teach a person to have um, uh, the courage to walk in the street at night to police. You can't, you can't teach that. Uh, right. I, hear this, I hear everybody saying, well, they need more training. Well, the bottom line is if a person is afraid, they're going to react a different way. Point blank. You know, yeah. you know, you are from uh, from Flint. So you walking in Stop City Street or Eastwood Street is different than a person who is from maybe Joshua, Texas, uh, somewhere small and, you know, remote. Yeah. I mean, it'll be, hey, man, what's going on here? You know, even though they've seen TV shows and they've been through the world's best academy with Fort Worth PD, you know. Right. But at the same time, if you're scary, you might want to give back your badge because you're going to make the news. That's just point blank, you know. That's point blank. And, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're getting good training, it gives you the confidence to conquer your fears. Right. You know, and then I I always tell people over time, exposure in the job also helps conquer some fears. You just, you can't avoid the things that scare the crap out of you. You got to. Right. You got to face them and and, and tackle them. So my advice for the rookies out there, if you got an area that you're concerned about, get, get a a veteran officer, have them walk you around, introduce you to people, get a guy like Holland. I'd be like, Hey dude, I got to work this area. I'm from Joshua, Texas. I have no business being over here. (laughs) I need, I need, I need somebody that knows. Right. And, and I tell people, be honest. Don't go out there and try to fake like you belong because they're going right. to see through you. Right. You're going to see through that in a minute. One, they're going right. to know you're a rookie. And, and right. two, they're going to know you don't belong. That's right. But I think the showing you want to belong, I mean, genuinely want to belong. You got to want to. 
um, showing you want to belong, that in itself helps win people over. And we're not going to save the world. You know, I mean, that's just, that's, that's irrational thinking. You're not going to save the world. You're not Superman. You're not, and in superheroes and Marvel universe, you know, right? Yeah. What you are, you are an employed person with a very important job to serve and protect. Period. That's it. And mm-hmm. you do that call for call. You know what I mean? Because you're gonna get several calls throughout the day, and you're gonna have to forget that last call where they cause you everything or you possibly got into a fight, you know? Right. You got to forget that and go to the next call. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. That's it. It's a hard concept to tell people. Um, Another way to think of it is imagine dealing with, you know, customer service at McDonald's. Let's say you worked at McDonald's and you just dealt with the biggest asshole in line who threw his food in a fit and left the store. Right now, and now you got to deal with the next guy and and be happy about it, right? Because it's McDonald's, right? <laughs> you're supposed, to, right. You're supposed to be happy, making minimum right. wage and eating <laughs> terrible food for you. So that's right. <laughs> uh, it's the same thing in the police world, except we're talking about things a little more serious than somebody threw some French fries around. You know, that's right. Uh, and. That's right. I hate when cops, I don't want the woe is me because there is the argument like, well, that's what you signed up for, dude. I right, agree. Right. No. It is. Yeah. But, no. but if we're going to bridge things, you need both sides. Right. So you can't just look at cops. And this is my message for citizens out there. You can't just look at cops and say, well, that's what you signed up for. That's we right. need you. T- we need you too. We need oh, your help. We need your empathy. Oh. Oh, you good? He got grandkids over there right now, so he's probably doing his grandpa thing. It's so funny. Him, he was he was old as you could get, going through the academy, and uh, I can hear myself in his speakers now that he took them off his head. That's funny. But uh, when I say I was rooting for an underdog for Holland, um, he really was an underdog because he. He was not a physical specimen by any means, but damn, he had a lot of heart. He want, I mean, we go on these runs a mile, two miles, whatever it was, he'd be, you know, last or close to last. And he had his eye on the prize. He knew he wanted to make it. So it's just a cool story, but, uh, he's back. <laughs> Them grandkids getting you, son. Yeah. man. <laughs> That's no, them grandkids, man. They, I tell you, I got baby kids over here. They don't oh, die. They, they multiply. <laughs> you know? Oh, I love them. I tell you right now, the, uh, another reason for Officer Holland uh, to become police was these boys I have. You know, um, one thing about it. Is that I pride myself to walk the walk that I want them to follow. Be the example. And if you can't, if you're ashamed to have, you know, your grandkids or your kids to follow your example, that's some self-evaluation. 
You know, yeah. that you got to look at, you know, if you're ashamed of your kids saying, I want to be just like daddy, there's a problem. There's a big problem. You need to check yourself. And that's been, uh, that's police or whoever else you want to be yeah. or who you are. You know, your lifestyle should be a mirror for your kids to be able to look at and be proud of. You know, if it's not, you, you, ain't the, <laughs> you, need, yeah. you need to you need to come to Jesus meeting with yourself and be honest, you know, be yeah. real honest with yourself. Yep. Yeah, it's you know I, I like the the communication aspect and um, I like I like trying I the message that I w- I was just my brain was kind of formulating around I don't think I've ever thought of it this way before mm-hmm. but we really do need empathy and help I, I I think that's one of the most important things at least to this episode. For people to understand that, yes, we know what we signed up for. We're willing to go into the fire. We're willing to go, you know, meet the bullets with our bullets, all that stuff. Um, But just because we did that doesn't mean we can do it alone. It doesn't mean that I, I need, I, I, I can't do, I want people to understand we cannot do the job without them. That's right. It's a team effort. It's a team effort. That's right. And so from this message of us talking and stuff, like I think that's the most important part of this is just understanding that we need your empathy. We need not necessarily sympathy. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I just need understanding, understanding when we screw up, understanding when we do things really well. Um, That's right. Understanding when we don't have an answer. That's right. You know, we're not perfect. Okay, and yeah. we never claim to be. Uh, what we did claim, you know, is that or where we swore to is to serve and protect, you know, and in doing so, we need your help. You know, I mean, uh, the, as far as community is concerned, to help us do that because what well, what we have, Eric, we have um, about 500 cops, you would say, uh, in patrol. Maybe. Right. You know, and, um, you know, we're not going to be everywhere at every time. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're going to have some slow responses depending on what's going on in the city. Sometimes we have some major events, you know, like that ice storm where, you know, the towway had piled up. I mean, we had to drum up everybody to get out there and dig up bodies. Yeah. You know? So we that's yep. we need a community to be able to say, hey, um, I need to watch out for our officers, you know, and 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 look out to the neighborhood. If I know yeah. somebody who's doing something wrong, report it. Yeah. And excuse me. Got that got that Rona. <laughs> the the benefit of that, and I'm looking at it twofold. As a as a cop, when I see the community getting together to bring out little box lunches or whatever, while we're standing out on the freeway trying to clear, you know, two, 300 cars out of there or whatever it was and right. trying to rescue people. Cause a lot of people just need just to be rescued to get out of there. Um, That's right. Cause they were trapped or whatever it was. That to me is like, it, 
it furthers the the drive to keep doing the job. I'm like, oh my God, these people right. really see what I'm doing. I don't do the job because I need appreciation. But I tell you what, when you get it, it it's a breath of fresh air. Because oh, like yeah. you said, in the media, you don't see that. Nope. So that's when I tell people, I'm like, when I say the community that we need them, this this the type of things that we need, right? To 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 be a one unit, to be you know a community with the cops and the people that we serve. My wife just called me. She probably doesn't know I'm on a podcast. <laughs> just sending her a message. I'm not ignoring you. Yes. Just on the podcast, but um, yeah, man. So all right. I think we beat that horse to death. So um, you're you're making waves in your community. You do all that. Um, mm-hmm. Where are you going to go from here now that you're you you've basically conquered your goal, right? Okay, right. so you've you've reached your goal. It's is it everything you thought it was going to be? Are you doing better than you thought you're going to be doing, or are you not reaching? what you thought you'd reach when you got there? Well, there's always, you know, I'm a person that always set more and more goals as I go along. You know, I'm always studying for the next move, you know, and that next move is, you know, like I said, that's trying to better myself, you know, better my craft. You know, I don't think that you can ever be a great crop, a gate, a great officer, without, you know, aspiring to be great, you know, right. uh, without studying, without improving yourself, you know, tighten up where you're weak, you know. I mean, that's what I do on a daily basis. I self-examine myself each and every day out the shift. You know, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I could have talked to her a little bit better than that, or maybe I should have asked that. Uh, maybe I could have been more helpful right there. What could have made me be more helpful. Maybe I need to hook up with this organization or this organization, you know, so I'll have that next time that come about, I'll be able to throw that card at her, you know? Yeah. So there's a, a lot of things that I'm trying to improve on as a person to be a better officer, you know? Um, yeah. I got a couple more years with this officer thing. And then uh, I think my life is going to be dedicated to my, grandkids and you know okay. make sure they make sure they get up and uh, don't get into the trouble and be the best people and you know live on to carry on my name yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> and uh enjoy some life before god take me on home you know i got you all right yeah. all right so you're gonna you're gonna finish it out staying in patrol well right when- now i'm in schools you know, um, I'm in uh, Morningside Middle School. Whoop, whoop. You know, okay. um, uh, I'm looking to become an MPO, or maybe one one day soon. Uh, I think that will be my last position within okay. uh, Fort Worth PD. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely makes sense um, where you're coming from. You know, uh, especially with your goals and stuff. I see that happening. Um, Sorry, I'm just writing down. No, you're good. You're good. My wife's. <laughs> Make okay. it happen, man. Make it yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, exactly. But all right. So yeah, I could see you doing the MPO gig. That would be a good fit for you. Um, Working in the schools though, trying to catch the major issues before they become major issues. That was important to me because as a kid, and we discussed prior in this community, you know, in this uh, broadcast, um, I was a kid that didn't really want to be the police because I had that misconception of the police. Yeah. Okay. So now that I am police and I'm talking to like sixth, seventh, eighth graders and showing them a different perspective, you know, something different than the stereotypical view that the media was showing them. Right. Now like Officer P. I want to be a officer, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, hey, you know, I'm doing my job. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's all that matters, you know? Right. That's a good thing. Made me feel good. Good. That's awesome, man. I like that. And, you know, it being in schools is, that's a different beast in itself. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. those kids do break laws. I mean, I've had 12-year-olds stealing cars. I had a nine-year-old steal a car. <laughs> and I try to tell people, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Some of my yeah. biggest some of my biggest failures, in my opinion, is taking uh at the time he was 14 and trying to give him the talk. Right. But you know, the best way I could without sounding preachy or anything like that. And trying to relate to a kid that I had no business trying to relate to <laughs> and thinking I could help him and uh-huh. having to arrest him later on and watching him go to big boy jail. Right. You know, I've like, done that sucks. Uh-huh. It's hard, uh-huh. hard to do. And you, you feel like a failure. Cause you're like, man, I, maybe if I reached him a little earlier, kind of like well, what you're doing. My thing is, it uh, that was the best conversation I ever had. The guy that I arrested, that I had actually talked to a coach before, before the arrest, I had already talked to this guy, ran into him on the street, told him what would happen to him, and I had to arrest him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as we ride in the patrol car and he's in the back, the dialogue was just, I wish I could have recorded. I wish I could. Man, yeah. it was it was so on point because he was saying, I'm sorry, I failed you, I failed myself, I failed my mom. And I said, You did. You did. Now what we what are we gonna what are we going to do now? Okay, yeah. what Can't are we change going the to past. do now? Yeah, yeah. You going in, and you might even go to the pen, you know, penitentiary for a little while. But you're gonna get out. What have you learned from where you were at? Where you were at? Yeah, you know what I mean. What did yep. you learn? You know, and he kind of told me. He said, "Also, P." God did what they called me. He said, "Also, P." Man, I learned to really, you know, humble myself and listen. And I didn't do it neither. And I'm sorry. I said, well, you know what? That's a start right there. That's a yeah. start. 
you know that's mm-hmm. it you know so um i don't know where he's at now i didn't follow him until you know um dropped him off and um he went down and um, his mom was heartbroken you know uh yeah that's another thing she didn't know he was in the stuff he was into you know okay it's a surprise to her. Yeah, yeah that's always bad. Yeah, dad's not around, which is typical. You know, yeah. we talked about that as well. No, dads need to step up, especially for these boys, you yep. know. Um, but when they don't, well, the streets are there. And we talked about that as well. They will yep. raise your kids, I promise you. Yeah. I mean, I, I have difficulties now with my kids, and I am home. Right. Of stuff I've got to get out of them from other kids that we're discovering. So I can right. only imagine, you know, how much harder it is for a mom that's trying to work and do the right thing, but doesn't have anybody else there to help. Exactly. So, you know, and there's a lot of moms out there like that, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't doubt them, uh, uh, down them for the decision that they make with the person they made that decision with. Yeah. That's nothing in my business. But what I do tell them is respect yourself enough not to deal with someone who can't support you in the decision that you all made. So you yeah. make this child, and you know that this guy have a record of not supporting the kids he already have around, then that's a thought. That's some thought. Uh, process that you need to go through, you know. Yeah. Is he is he truly a person that I want to be with when he's not taking care of his responsibility? Yep. You know. And and a lot of times we get calls too where they're trying to get us to be the dad mm. on the call. Mm. And I yeah, it's that's a hard road to be on Ooh, because man. wow, I can't I can't tell you how many times I do want to have the the dad talk. Yeah. But it one, it it's either not professional at the time or whatever it is. <laughs> like it's it it's you know, and we all have our own views on how we parent. It's That's the right. beauty of being a parent, you know, you try to avoid the mistakes that we made with our kids. So That's right. Well, you know, I, that's where re- relationship come in, E, is because when you have a relationship with that family. Right. Like in Flint, I'm sure that you have some families that, you know, you become close with, you know, and some of them people have had kids. So yeah. if you come around and say, hey, listen, let me talk to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to talk to him like he's mine. And yeah. they trust that. Yep. They're going to let you go ahead and chastise them verbally. Yep. The way you would chastise your own. Right. You know? <laughs> Look at me. Look at my eyes. You fucking up. <laughs> you're, you're blowing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, man. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, well, brother. Yes, sir. We're, we're, we're hit a good spot. Tell me what's yeah. uh, what's life like right now? What's uh, what's wonderful. the world like in Holland's world? Man, life is wonderful, man. I met this uh, beautiful woman. Dorothy, you know, and uh, okay, yeah, and uh, we look like we're gonna take that next level this year, okay? Uh, yeah, looks good. 
um, uh, the kids are all doing what really well, really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even the grandkids, they're doing really well. So I'm yeah. really blessed on that. Uh, career wise. I mean, I see future prospects. They're getting brighter and brighter. You know, um, as far as uh, studying is concerned, I'm, I'm I'm studying for the next level. You know, okay. um, so it, it, everything is looking good, even in a troublesome world. Yeah, and 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 it sounds funny, but I'm like, wow, you know, I see everything else going to hell, and here I am, you know, still kicking yeah. along. You know, right. old man Holland, you know. <laughs> And I'm still, you know, finding my second win. And, you know, really being a police has uh, brought back my youth as well as uh, yeah. how I'm exercising, what I eat, my mind process, you know, when I need to back up and get my mental together, you know, yeah. it's helped me do all that, put everything in order, you know, as far as yep. my life is concerned. So, no, I don't hang out as much you know but i do with the important people in my life you know yeah. and yeah. that's that's the key man that's so i are, are you still uh keeping up with the 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 mission radio show yes and and look forward to that because um that's coming back out you know okay. um i'm gonna revamp that that's the reason why we have all this equipment here at the house um, where we are going to go ahead and go full throttle. We're going to do more live events. You okay. know, uh, I'm hooking up with a lot of people who are very um, inside the business of radio. Uh, and it's just going to be a exciting time, man. Uh, we'll cool. take this mission radio show and spread it out a little bit, you know, okay. get it, not just in the Metroplex, but elsewhere. So, yeah, we on our way of branding that, you know. Okay, very so cool. Out. Nice. How can <laughs> tell people how they can find you? Oh yeah, Monster Holland is their name on Facebook. You can inbox me, please. Uh, hit me up there. You know, I don't mind um, chit chatting with you. Different ideas. Uh, I will be advertising on Facebook when the Mission Radio Show is ready to go again. Um, I am going to talk to Sammy, which is uh, the owner of Fishbowl Radio Network, and see how we can go ahead and do some things. She is one of the ones on the list of uh, getting that kicked off really well. So okay. I think uh, I think I think you met her, right? You met Levine? You met her? I don't uh, remember. So I don't okay. think so. Oh, the I, white I lady? When I was up there, there was no females that okay. I met. Okay. Yeah. 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 We got to go up there because I like what you're doing here. And I'm sure that she's one of, she can give you some nice tidbits on how you can get things moving really good. Okay. Uh, so uh, let's, let's make a decision when you come back, you know, from your leave. Yeah. Let's, let's hook up you and I. And we'll okay. go to the Fishbowl na uh, Radio Network, and I'll introduce you to. Okay, okay. that'll and, uh, work. He can get you. She can get you some advertisers and everything else to help support what you're doing. That'd be okay. cool. Uh, as long as, as long yeah. as she thinks it's good. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. Uh, I 
I have um, feedback from some folks that are in the business, and I let them see a glimpse, and they were like, oh, yeah, this is good. You okay. Know? So uh, I'm excited uh, for two cops and one donut. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. man. It's, it's going to be looking real good, man, for you. It's growing. It's like a, the slowest snowball growing down the mountain right now. Hey, that's it's how it start, though. Yeah. You know? Snowflake at a time, man. Snowflake yeah. at a time. <laughs> yeah, fill it on up, yeah. man. But I got to say, it's, it's never gone down. It just keeps growing, so I like it. You're a natural, man. I, mean, I appreciate it. That's it. That's it. You know, when you was on my radio show, uh, that's uh, the feedback. You know that you were natural, man. You were real smooth with your delivery, and uh, that's really what it takes. And you have a personality that goes over the microphone to the listeners, and that's what radio is. Be honest with you, they got to okay. feel your emotion behind yeah. the mic. You know, well, I'll take I'll take your expertise for it because I don't have any. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I'll tell you what, I am the biggest dummy. I can't believe I figured out what I figured out so far. Oh, man, you um, did a great job, man. I was sitting up here, I said, hey, you got a nice setup. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't wait. And I'm going to invite you over so you can see my setup as well. And I'm going to okay. come over there and look at yours. And that's another thing that we have to arrange because I think um, I can add something to yours, and you probably can add something to mine, you know, especially these cameras. Like this GoPro. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, the camera you're recording on right now is like a potato. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, I'll you, take that. <laughs> yeah, when you cut out, I was like, man, Holland's got great sound, all this stuff. I was like, but he's recording on a potato right now because his main camera's down. <laughs> so I'm apologizing yeah, to any viewers that like to watch. Um, oh, most my people, God. <laughs> most people just listen anyway. So I think they're really right. going to appreciate the fact that you you jumped on with a real recording system. Um, oh, but yeah. anybody that likes to watch, they're going to be like, "Well, maybe I'll just listen to this one." <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, because it is cloudy, you know, <laughs> and it's no smoke in here. By the way, no smoke, you know. No, it's just that. 200 megapixel camera you got going on there. That's what it is. That's right? exactly what it is. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, brother. I appreciate you joining the show. Hey, man. Appreciate you, man. Hey, all right. hey, I want you to be safe out there, man, and uh, come back to us, man. I know you're leaving for a little yeah. bit, but come yeah. back to us, bro. Will do. Will do, sir. All right. Take it easy, bro. All right.